0: Start Sooners of Oklahoma. And all and still looking for respect nationwide. What is going on, Sooner Nation? Thank you all for tuning in to another episode of The Barry and Mac Show. As always, myself Barry personal trainer, sports performance coach out of Tulsa, Oklahoma, and alongside me, former Sooner wide receiver, 2000, national champ, long time no see, Mr. Damian Mackey. How are we doing today, D
1: What's going on, bro? It feels, feels like forever, man. Glad we back in the, in the saddle. You know, summertime shout out to Smitty, killing them boys. I <laughs> heard he killing them boys already, which is good. He killed us when we won the Natty. It's BV second summer. This might be that you to win the Natty. I'm calling it mm. in June. Ooh,
0: okay, okay. Uh, well, somebody who just came off of winning another Natty, D Mac is OU softball. Uh, Patty Gasso and the Sooners. They go out there, they take care of business against Florida State. Um, Grace Lyons uh, knocking out home runs. Sidney Sanders knocking out home runs. Ball closes out the game. Uh, you get a big play. I think it was third inning uh, with uh, Jada Coleman there. I, I think FSU had a chance for a two or three run homer. And uh, she, she snags it out there. And that really was what... Oh, OU didn't score until a couple innings later. It was 1-0 for a while. But uh, it was really that defensive play that kept the Sooners hanging in there. Ultimately, they probably still would have won the game, but that was an interesting turning point uh, that that really had an impact on the game as a whole. But man, Patty Gasso, she's now won. Let me give you these numbers, Dmac. Seven titles, 81% winning uh, percentage. If not for the one loss earlier in the year, uh, they would have put up 62 straight this season. It is just insane the level of play that Oklahoma has been able to to attain. I mean, the, there's really not any comparison, other than maybe obviously Wilkinson doing 47 straight uh, for for your alma mater, and then uh, Bear Bryant had a nice run. Got to talk about Nick Saban. If we go hoops, Shashevsky, right um what's his name at UCLA i forget coach
1: kareem
0: <laughs> what's his name oh my goodness escapes me but uh, anyways a lot of famous coaches but man i think patty gasso this is division 1 athletics and, and i know that it cannot be negated how hard it is to compete year after year at that high of a level when everybody is bringing in really talented players, it's difficult. And to keep doing what she is doing, I mean, I would say she's beyond or right at what Nick Saban is doing in Alabama just from the longevity and probably better, right? Even if you consider the sports and whatnot. But how does this fit in to the, uh, the, the paradigm of college athletics, NCAA, and just historically – can you give us some context as to your experience as a D one athlete? How hard it is to compete uh, year after year and maintain that level of, of proficiency and success?
1: I don't think I could uh, accurately convey what she's going through. We went thirteen and zero and one. I you know we lost, we lost like five games in three years or something like that. Um, it's unbelievable. I'm so proud to say I'm a Sooner. Uh, I'm so proud to say, you know, that I, I watched those girls. You know, I think I told this on one of the earlier pods, one of our very first episodes. Like when we were in college, they won a natty the year we won the natty. And we were at their games acting a plum. Ooh, we used to be, oh, man, we were the worst trolls in the Big 12. And we went to K State, we went to KU, we went to Oklahoma State. But what Patty's doing now is, you know, Coach K never had a run like this. Um, Saban, Saban's run is not at this level. Saban never did a three P. And then really shit five out of six or five out of seven, whatever it is. Saban's run is legit. Alabama contextually, right? It's a different game. And and for them to do that is a big deal. But what Patty is doing. It's almost unprecedented. Um, what, what you know, Bud Wilkinson did in, in, in the 50s and such, I mean, obviously the 47-game win streak and, and winning three, four natties, she's got more natties than Bud. You know what I'm saying? Like, with due respect to OU, we are a football school. Ladies and gentlemen, we are the softball school. And, and UCLA can't combat that. Arizona can't combat that. Like, right now, it's us. Those games, vary. The games were so lopsided. There was never one game where I felt like at any given inning, we couldn't win. We were losing one to zero. And the inning before we had bases loaded with nobody out with the beginning of the order of Jada had a bad pitch. Um, All three of the girls, they all, you know, it's like it was, was kind of like an A-bomb. It was combustion, right? It was kind of like, okay, they, they, they snuck away this inning, but it's coming. Like, you knew it was coming. And by the way, Patty did them a, a, a solid by pitching her number three pitcher. Like, we literally yeah. pitched our number three pitcher and tried to do them a solid and, you know, gave Jordy the opportunity to come in and close things down. So, uh, you know, when you look at what she's putting together, and, and I don't know if you saw this, but as soon as they won, uh, they put up a stat OU has five All-Americans coming back. They have the MVP of the the championship series coming back. They have the big 12 player of the year coming back. And by the way, both of them are (laughs) non-seniors. So they'll be coming back for two more years. And I think we had the number one recruiting class again. And who knows who's going to want to transfer in? Like we are the program. If there was a professional league where where you could expect to make, I would even say six figures of income. I don't know what Jocelyn is making on the team she's playing for. But if there was a league where you could expect to make big money, it would be even more of a landslide because we're a farm system that literally produces the best of the best. So kudos to our coach. I'm humble to say I'm a sooner. I love I am the biggest fan in California. When, them, when those games come on, it's like a Laker game. But, but here's the last thing I'll say. And I, I, this is a jab by some of the people throwing around this word. Um, and it, it just drives me crazy. You know, I'm watching the NBA Finals. And I know I'm going off on a tangent here, but I'm watching the NBA Finals and people are talking about, like, is Jokic the, the goat of sinners? Like, 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 calm down. Like, people throw out the word goat like we're just talking about an animal. It stands for all time, not your era, or as long as you've been watching, or the last three to five years, right? It, she deservedly so. I'm talking about Coach Gasso, does deserve. Like, I feel like she's entered the conversation of of all-time softball coaches. She's not the GOAT today, just because today we're seeing the run she's been on the last You know, this last seven years has been remarkable. The last 23 years since he's been winning Natties. But like Coach Gasol legitimately is in the GOAT conversation, right? Uh, Jokic is not the GOAT. Jokic is not top 10 player all time. He's having a top 10 season all time, right? Probably maybe even five all time. But like, chill, chill out. We're, We're watering down terms. That should be used like once or twice a generation. Well, Coach Gasso is appropriately termed, entering the GOAT conversation. And uh excited to say, for I was there when they got this thing off the ground. And she was a very young coach that no not too many people knew about. And then to see her now, I think her seventh natty tied or yeah. tied for second all time in coaching, that's a GOAT type. Um, and what is she like? She's like, She's like seven and two, I believe. And one of those natties was against Bama, I want to say, in like 13 and it rained and we really had the game one and they postponed. I don't know if you remember that, but there was a, there was a, there was a series, I want to say against Bama and we were kicking tail or something happened and weather became an issue and they had to do the game and weather's a part of the game. But there was controversy around the timing of the game and, 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 you know, they, either they let them play and the weather was bad and they probably should have held it or the game, you know, the game was in a position where we had momentum. I don't remember the exact details, but the point is she's batting seven, eight hundred in, in, in the actual World Series and seven total chips. Uh, salute to coach. She she the goat on campus. She might be the goat of coaches at Oklahoma. And I know the football world, I'm in I'm a ball player, but let's just call it spade a spade. Switzer and Bud and Bob and those guys kick tail, but what she's doing is unprecedented. It, it really is.
0: Yeah, and you know, being on Twitter, you see some of the comments that are that are made about the players. And it's weird because we really only this is this also is a little bit of a, a tangent here. We we only do this with women athletics, right? So if OU goes into a game against Alabama, right? Let's say this is OU. OU is starting to look a little better, but even a year ago, and you look at the Alabama sideline or that Georgia sideline, and you look at that OU sideline, you would need to say, OU needs to get players that look like that, right? right? They need to get players that look like what Bama and Georgia are rolling out there. The some of the the comments that are are rooted in a, a lot of hate, probably a little bit of jealousy and envy. And I'm talking about the steroid comments, the cheating comments. The I'm on steroids. The, oh man, it, it's our so, girls are like the,
1: smaller. Our girls are smaller and prettier than like seventy percent of the teams we play. Like, what are they talking about?
0: That's some of I the can. stuff is is ridiculous that you hear and. and I'm hopeful that eventually that escapes women athletics, right? Just because it doesn't need to be there. We don't do it for, for the men's side of stuff. Well, we just don't. I mean, there's a few guys, but just the amount of stuff that circulates amongst opposing fans. Um, I, I, I'm not a huge, uh, I don't really enjoy seeing it. On on the other side, just what she's done, and maybe you can speak to this a little bit, is. It is so difficult year after year to have buy-in from a group, especially when you've had success. And what happens is that success doesn't necessarily breed that desire to work from the groups that are coming in after them, right? So I, I would equate that to your all success in 2000. And then some of the following classes that maybe came in there saying this is Oklahoma I'm going to show up. We're going to win. You know, this is just what we do here. And maybe not realizing the amount of work that has to go into that and, and the drive and desire that is necessary. And that was a critique of some of the the Stoops teams as he got into those mid-2000s was maybe the guys coming in didn't quite understand the necessary uh, components of being a championship team. Speak to the year after year buy-in that just has to take place with every class.
1: Yeah, you know, and the, the parallel that I want to, uh, that I would be paying attention to of late is Patty she reached out to the UCLA coach um, and, and was getting advice because they had gone on a run and she said, unapologetic. People are going to make excuses. People are going to have issues. Those are the distractions you deal with when you're on top you know, when we were the underdog 99 season going into August, uh, our preseason, we didn't do, we didn't kill it in preseason. We almost lost to KU the week before Texas. We were the underdog. So we were like, okay, we got to outwork people, right? OU's not in the outwork season of their excellence. They're in the outlast. So how do you outlast the competition? When you're up top, you're at the pinnacle, right? You are the hunted instead of the hunter. And That perspective, it it, it made a lot of sense to me, right? I've been in places where you you are the champion and somebody's trying to take you off the mantle. You know what? Don't apologize for being the best. Don't apologize for kicking ass. Don't apologize for competing. Like The thing that drives me crazy about sports in America today is we act like the number one reason people play sports for has changed from competition. Family, culture, character, discipline, hard work, right, sacrifice, compromise, all of those are attributes that we all appreciate, but I didn't sign up to play soccer at six years old to, you know what I'm saying, to, to I don't know, to like make frenzies, like I wasn't looking for best friends, I wanted to see how good I was in soccer, and guess what we did my first year, we got fourth place. That's what I did. I took my my little my little ribbon, or I got a trophy. I took my little trophy home and I broke it. Oh, by the way, this is a true story. I'm seven years old, bro. I'm playing under eight soccer. Bro. I'm six. Listen, listen to me, Barry. Listen to me, because I want I want to I want to connect dots on le- keeping it a buck. I'm six years old playing under eight soccer. My first year in organized athletics, we got four. By the way, I was pretty good. I was a fast little athlete but I didn't understand the game yet. So guess what? That second season, you think we was coming to play tiddlywinks and, and sitting in, in crisscross applesauce and eat orange slices on the side. Listen, there was hell to pay. <laughs> We're seven years old, Barry Hell <laughs> to pay, but we went undefeated and I was scoring five goals. Seven, like we was, we, we beat teams 20 to zero. And I think yeah, Little League, that's not unprecedented, right? Little League Soccer, you got a really good team versus a pretty bad team. Kids, some kids are chasing butterflies. We wasn't chasing butterflies. We was putting the ball in the net. And that is what we learned. That translated to football. I got to Pee Wee football. I knew my team's black and red going against the other team, blue and yellow. I needed to hit them harder. And at the end of the game, I'm looking at the scoreboard to see if we won. What are we talking about? So. To hear Patty, you know, take that perspective, talk to someone who's been there, done that before, been in a position where they've won multiple chips. That's awesome. Like that tells you she's still living in the moment. That tells you it's still something that she's thirsty for and that she's still striving for. She's not. She's not at the over the hill uh, aspect of her career yet. I think she wants to have nine minimum. I think nine is the number she's said. If I get to that number, then I'll start. I'll start thinking about what's next. But just by virtue of her reaching out to the UCLA coach and her going back to the girls and saying, "Hey, look, block out all the noise. I got the noise. This is literally what she said. I'm gonna take care of the noise. I'll take care of the media, Twitter, all the naysayers, all the haters. Blah blah blah. blah. Y'all go whoop some ass. Y'all go whoop some motherfucking ass. Like like that is what it's about and. That's why we play sports. The residual impact, 100 percent. My success in business, my my ability, you know, discipline in marriage, fatherhood, all that stuff. Parts of that is a residual impact of being coached by Bob Stoops and a gentleman by the name of Neil Framson and another gentleman by the name of Coach Quisenberry. Those three men really helped um, prepare me. As a very young man, you know, 18, 19, really coach Q was my JV football coach. He taught me how to not be a cancer. If not for him, I would have been a me guy when I got to varsity. Cause I was, I was, I was more talented than most of the guys. And I wanted the ball. You got right. As a 14 year old kid, like I want the ball, like coach, let me do it. I'll do it. I understood the, the teamwork aspect of, of football. And it, and it was, it was a beautiful thing because when I got to varsity football, I understood team. So we got to respect it. Everybody else, listen, we're in a society where we don't even stay engaged with topics for a week. Ain't nobody going to be thinking about that. And it's probably already today. But guess what? We got the chip. It's cemented. It's it's, it's painted on the, you know what I'm saying, on the rafters. Like we got that thing. And and that's what the girls who are recruited to OU came for. And, and they got the job done. And I'm super, um, just excited for their continued excellence—not even success. Their excellence—it's definitely a positive reflection on our university.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it can't be overstated just how impactful she is to the program, to the university, and and just what this does. You know, on a on a scale for for women's sports, uh, very very cool stuff um, and and important. Um. But I uh, came here to talk a little bit of football as well. Going to do kind of a hard segue. Um, pretty recent news. OU able to procure a couple defensive tackles, Dmac, We talked about it in the offseason. We talked about it in season. This was an area where OU was go- going to have to improve. And they didn't go out and get you know so some lightweight edge defenders. That They went out that, and they got some meat in the middle. They got some guys who, who have some length to them and also also some size. Uh, one in uh, Phil Paya. Uh, that's how Utah State lists his name being pronounced. And then the other one is Dejon Terry. Dejon Terry looks like an immediate impact player uh, coming from Tennessee, played inside. Uh, when you go over to Sooners 360, I've talked about it a little bit. He was really a first and second down uh run stuff type player and then on third down kind of the kind of the pass rush downs they went to a different package but he was very consistent against the run game he he play plays the position in a very kind of just technical does his job fashion which is something that OU needs as well as just the overall SEC level size and natural athletic ability you just talk a little bit DMAC, uh about both of these guys Paya, i haven't seen quite as much film on uh but he's still a guy his size impresses uh, against air force i want to say it was a year or two ago uh there was a game where air force was really impacting the game on offense going up the middle. He comes in with the second unit. He was not a starter, comes in with the second unit, causes some problems, and he sees a little more playing time after that. Uh, Just his size, ability to take away some of the stuff they were doing inside had an impact on the game. OU had to do this. They had to go out there and get some depth, particularly if they maybe lose a body or two this offseason. Incredibly important that you have In this case, two guys who probably will see some significant playing time this year, for sure Terry will. Um, And I'm going to ask you about Terry, just where he fits in the starting lineup. But overall, what does this mean to what Bates and BV are doing uh, in the transfer portal? planning for the season and trying to have a defense that goes out there and isn't dead last in the country in basically every statistical category. What does this mean? Yeah,
1: it's, it's, it's exciting. Um, I feel like there's four levels to creating a competitive front. Um, you know, you got Jags, just a guy, you got competitive depth, um, you got difference makers, and then you got transcendent players, right? So let's just let's just um, put it out there. Both of these guys, uh, in the context of our defense, and like you're talking about numbers and ratios and stats and such, where we've landed the the last, I don't know, second half of the decade, they're both competitive depth. Kaya is probably a guy who will lean closer to just a guy. Which, which, by the way, we need just a guy right now with where we are um and that's not a negative connotation cuz he he probably does has a have a fairly high ceiling but the numbers and his history and injuries and and a lot of moving and shaking and transferring around says right the likelihood that he's going to come in and 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 be kelly gregg is not very high but the likelihood he's going to come in on tuesday practice that uh, and on a Wednesday practice being blitz pickup and on, a, and on a Friday when they're doing um, testing to make sure people know the mental side of the game, make sure other guys who otherwise could really just pretty much relax because they know they were going to play. That competitive depth is necessary. A big body, a long body, um, long limbed. He's going to be a space eater and a guy who we can deploy within the different units. We need it. Uh, We need the size. We also need the depth and bringing him into the fold. We'll see. Right. How many times do guys come in and need a new, um, you know, just a new opportunity and take advantage of it? That's what they're hoping for. Terry's a level up from him. I don't think Terry's a a transcendent guy either. Uh, He's a guy who I think is aiming to play uh, on Sundays. And I think he feels like Oklahoma will give him the balance between enough credibility with program and opportunity with scenario to put him in position to do that. And so that's the thing that's exciting. You know, today's game. It's a what's in it for me game. And I think for a lot of these guys in the transfer, I think I said this earlier, too. Oh, you per- might be like Obama of the transfer portal. Now, Lincoln has definitely taken advantage of that and in, 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 uh, Southern Cal. He understands he has a brand that even if they're a cut below, he can market his brand to go get and dominate the transfer portal. In fact, I said that for years. Like, yo, I think some of y'all missing some of the opportunity the transfer portal provides. And we've seen transfer teams, TCU, USC, right? These guys have come in and made a difference in a short period of time, Texas. Um, but Terry's a guy who he, he's going to deliver. There's already an expectation that he can come in. And like you said, on early downs, he could be the best of day one, stay healthy, come in and, and do what he's expected to do. He is competitive depth and depth, and he is a potential difference maker. He's a guy where we don't play Baylor or K-State this year, but he's the guy who makes, you know, the the casual fan doesn't understand why, why Baylor or K-State can't get going but the football nuanced geek expert, the 360 member, the guys who are on the website with us talking analytics and, and looking at the the X's and O's of the game understand that he's getting across the face of the center and not letting him get to the second level and he's hammering the, the guard's back hit, right? So the guard can't get to his assignment. Like those are things that the 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 guys who pay close attention and understand the game uh pick up on. And I think he's immediately gonna put guys like Cole on notice which by the way rumors Cole needs to do well in summer school to even stay old he's gonna immediately put guys on ke- like Kelly on notice again a guy who his commitment and consistent discipline is one that coaches are waiting for him to consistently do things the right way guys like Gilliam who need to get healthy and, and, and be available right he Haya and then of course the transition of Leilao to the inside puts us in a position where now we have, again, a couple units of defensive linemen who can come in. Can't forget the pups, Sanders, Halton. We've got a couple of guys who can have different skill sets. It's going to put us in a position uh, to have some versatility, um, to play different styles within that front. Right. It, it feels to me like that's those are guys who are going to be stalwarts in the 40 front. So it looks like we'll have two tackles, two ends probably as our primary front. You know, who knows what Coach V will we'll definitely find out in August um, once they get through fall camp or into fall camp. But it's, it was it was it was needed. Some of the language that I've been hearing and again, you know, <laughs> hyperbole, broke crimson colored glasses, whatever is championship defense. In order to have a championship defense, right, there are certain ingredients you need to have in tow, in place, uh, to, be, to find success. And, hey, let me give you – let me throw a name at you. And, and Barry, you might, he might be a little older than you, but he was a part of our uh, defense um, in that same era. And I, I want to say he came in with Tommy in 01, but Bobo, Lynn Magruder. guess where oh, he yeah. came from? Tennessee. Chancellor from Tennessee right? Yep. Go figure. So you're looking at some parallels. And by the way, I stay Bobo's good people. We we try to communicate every couple months um, on social media, but he came in and provided a ton of value. He, was, he wasn't a guy who was going to get 14 sacks, but he was absolutely a key cog in the defense and made incredible plays. Some of them that stuck out like a sore thumb and fans got a chance to see, but some of them, he was just doing the dirty work to make sure Rocky and and Teddy and Roy Lee and those guys can get the shine, and you need some of those guys in order to have a championship caliber.
0: Yeah, I mean, and I was digging through the through the stats the other day, just as as far as how poorly that defense performed at times. They had a nice stretch at times, but when you go to the numbers, man, they were the, the total plays allowed, which. If we are just going to look at the analytics of football, if they are able... So OU was, I think, last or very close to last in total plays allowed for all of college football. But the issue was they were they were last in terms of run plays allowed and last in terms of pass plays allowed. If they are able to shrink... The, the run side of things, and just improve the run defense as a whole, you change everything. If, if you are a team that can stop the run, that was a hallmark of some of the OU teams, even when you guys weren't necessarily loaded with defensive talent in some of those years, just being able to hold teams off and stop the run game gave your your other guys on the back end uh, a chance to actually make some plays. You, you forced the action uh, to basically be, this is what you've got to do to beat us. We're going to completely wholesale take away uh, this element of the game and, and force you to throw the ball. And OU was basically saying, you can run it, you can throw it, do whatever you want. You can beat us ho- however you like. We're going to give it up. And by adding two guys like this, you're aiming to try and shore up at least one piece of the game. I want to talk a little bit too, as as we transition to to incoming guys um, on the younger side. OU has a big recruiting uh, weekend this weekend going on right this second. Chris Mason over at Sooners360 has all the details on that, so make sure to go go check it out. Some of the the info that he's up on right? Well, we have a moderator text, a little inside baseball. And Chris is just nonstop. He knows exactly what's going on in terms of who's on campus, um, who's not coming to campus, who might be close to committing. So, so make sure you guys go give him a follow. It is uh, CM underscore Sooners 360 on Twitter. Definitely worth the follow. Uh, but OU has a big recruiting uh, weekend going on right this second. But before we get to some of the names on campus, and maybe talk about just what the weekend entails, Demac uh, Wesco commits to Clemson. Uh, wide receiver OU was absolutely after him. He was a, a top target for the Sooners, trying to take that receiving core to the next level. Is this a? Um, I don't want to. I don't want to use the word failure, but but. Is it a little bit of a failure on the the OU side to not pull in uh, a player of this caliber, especially one that Sooner fans knew was was very important
1: to this class? Um, I look at this two ways, B, and I'm going to argue both sides against each other. So first, I'm going to argue the side of yes, because perception is reality. And when you've got a kid of that status and that stature, and they are giving all the signals in a way that says they are very interested in and are planning to commit to OU, if that's what a lot of the rumors that were are circling um, are true. And then overnight for that to manifest into a commitment to Clemson 100 percent and him being on campus. I don't know if that was his very first time, but for that committable trip, he commits. Caution. Maybe not red flags, yellow flags. Whoa, we need to slow down, take a peek, what's going on? Um that part. Okay. Now, the other side of the coin. And 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 I said this last summer, and I hate that the kid didn't make it, because there is the bird in the hand and the bird in the bush, right? And when you start going through camp season, and you got a, a kid by the name of Kenyon Brown. What's his name? Kenyon Brown? Or Kenyon, right? Yep. Kenyon Brown. Kenyon,
0: Kenyon Brown. And he yep. comes
1: in and dominates camp. All right. And I think what a lot of us as fans don't understand is the behind the scenes personalities. See, when I was coming up, there were two personalities. They were like, I was a yes sir, no sir guy at camps, on visits. You know, when I'm on unofficials, I did some unofficials and visits and went to some camps and it's yes or no sir. When I'm with my homeboys, I was, hey, man, we trying to knock this down, trying to get on these chicks, right? There was a different, we were code switching. Well, now there's three. There's the real you, there's the on-campus you, and there's the social media you. And, you know, the public gets to see two versions of these, these young men going through recruiting. And if you know how to code switch, you know how to make yourself look like something that may not be the real you. And the fact of the matter is there aren't many kids that are top shelf kids that the coaches will be like, hell nah, I just don't want them. By the way, it happens sometimes. There are times where a kid's character or demeanor or a decision they made or grades are just so egregious that coaches are like, nope, it's not worth it. More often than not, and by the way, Barry, I can think of two or three of every Sooner fan's favorite recruit this cycle who there are maturity concerns, character concerns that I'm not going to bring up, but I know the coaches are playing, I'm not going to say a Russian roulette, but they're playing Vegas roulette in hopes that it lands on black instead of landing on red. So park that there, because back to the initial point of being in camp season, when you're in camp and you're the position coach, and you know you've got two or three, four guys dialed up on, on your board, And you're like, okay, these are the kids we want, but you're sitting at a camp with a kid who it's 87 degrees or 94 degrees or whatever it is. And he doesn't want more water. He wants another rep. And a kid from the defensive side is locking people down. And this kid's saying, I want to go against that guy. And he beats him. And the kid is, yes, sir. No, sir. I want to stay and get extra reps. The kid paid the 200, whatever they charge for camps these days. That that kind of has an impact on you as a coach. See, if this was if this was week two of the season, and the kid was waiting until October, and he was and he was like, "Yeah, I'm going to commit in October," but we're in August or September, and all of a sudden he goes on a Clemson visit and commits. That's a totally different story than you've got your board, your top three, four, five, or five kids, and and this kid who you've never even heard of shows up to your camp and is the esque type position player you thought you needed and another kid you've got him right here on your field it changes things we don't know if oh you said hey Wesco you know what we like you but take visits it happens we don't know if the kid the, the uh, young white kid what's the kid's name he blew up the first couple of days of the camp he was unguardable we don't know if that kid is making a, a an assertive, Position for himself, saying, "Hey, man, I, I'm serious about OU, and we wanted to be honorable and have that conversation with Westco." So it works both ways. I this is just my own anecdotal, personal opinion. I feel like during camp season, and I said it last year. You remember? I, I don't remember who the receivers we were after were, but Kenyon was out there cooking was unguardable and then what happened during the season he went back and had a senior season that was very banner right so the coaches see kids on campus they develop relationships and that changes their board and maybe Wesco caught into that maybe it has nothing to do with it I I don't care that much because so long as we get the guys our first pick guys that I think that's what matters the most if Wesco was top guy but we found a one a who we like just as much. I'm not tripping because receivers are a dime a dozen and perception does matter. He's a name. He has pedigree and, and he's a damn good ball player. He's a really, really, really talented athletic receiver, but he ain't the only one in America. And so long as we're not turning around and getting a, you know, a four, six 40 with, with, um, with, with with I don't know, right? Bad hands or, or bad feet trips over his feet every day, then I, I feel pretty good about where we're at. So I'm not worried about it too much. The big uglies are a bigger issue for me. There's some rumors going around about some of the big uglies looking other ways and potentially going to other schools. Wesco is a kid that we would have liked to got the perception of one of the already top flight receivers in America coming home and being sooner, but receiver just doesn't have the same uh, impact. In terms of what you need to have a championship caliber team as a big, ugly does.
0: Yeah. I mean, and this weekend, there's a lot of just high level, high level prospects on campus. Um, You got uh, Nweniri, Kobe Black on campus, uh, Marcellus Williams, uh, just kind of going down the list here Zion Reagans, let's see, Weston Davis, offensive tackle. Ah, uh, man, some of what Beaenbo's doing with the, the the guys he's reached out to. Uh, you got to see him close in this class, but uh still still has some nice momentum going. Give us a rundown, Mac. Just when OU has a has a weekend like this and it's being planned months, weeks ahead of time, and you really want to get the guys in there that that you want. Can you give us? I know things have changed, but you you're heavily intertwined with, with kind of what's going on. Can you give us a little bit of inside baseball on the dynamics of when recruits arrive? Where are they going? Who are they most interacting with on a weekend like this? Especially something when it's you're talking four five-star guys. You're not talking players who are here for you know, it's a game day and they're, you know, Mr. Two-Star from whatever school in Oklahoma. We're talking about big name premier guys who want the time, hopefully, uh, with coaches, their position coach to CBV. What does the inside baseball uh, look like in terms of their arrival? What's being discussed and what kind of words or ideas concepts are are the coaches using to try and convince them to
1: be Sooners um man I feel like if I get too deep into it I will uh tell on some of our secrets because there are some specific things that OU has transitioned to since coach has come that I think are very 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 um uh uh, man provocative and like forward-thinking that are just here, here's the deal when i was at cedar hill um one of our receivers not not the kid that transferred to miami he was he had gone to ou before i got there we had a kid named quince bryce slot receiver he ended up going he committed to tech and then he ended up going to hawaii but i think he's back i think he's at north texas now or something i don't know but he was getting recruited by ou 10, guy, shorter guy. He was a running back for us, but he was a slot receiver He was being recruited as a slot receiver. Um, so I saw firsthand, you know, Link and how they did it. Like I said, I'm teaching in a class and Link pops up in my room. Like, what's up, d that? D-Man? It was pretty dope. I ain't going to lie. There's a, there's a side to Link that's like, I get it, right? I, I understand why people are attracted to him. He, he's he got fake charm is what I mean, you know, is what I'd call it. But I was there front and center, saw it. He had all access. Um, He was a sophomore at the time, and the kids were categorized by recruiting class. But we had all access. And it was interesting because some people didn't. Right? Depending on how your lanyard looked. By the way, depending on how your lanyard looked, determined if you could wear a jacket. We played TCU that night. That's the night Rodney Anderson and uh, Bake went crazy. Um, He had one-handed catches in the whole nine. So we're there for that game. And uh, Bright had all access. Right. Some kids did it. Some kids got to eat. Some kids just got to get drinks. Right. Some kids got to do a walkthrough and then they had to go be seated. Some kids got to do a walkthrough, come down and see the field. So we were the he, when Sean was being recruited as an all-access kid, uh, which was pretty good for him. So, so there are levels, if you will, right? On weekends like this weekend, there will be levels. There's a list of kids. So so, uh, I guess let me get back to the point there. The point is, I saw how he did it, and then I was there last year um, and saw a recruiting weekend um, and saw the alumni weekend and how Coach BB does it. And he actually explained to us in detail, you know, to the alumni, like, hey, man, this is the culture we want to um, manifest, and this is the environment. And he told all of us, like, you guys are a part of that. We want to leverage you guys which that in itself was absolutely uh, anti-Link. There was probably a list of 20 guys, maybe more. I'm sure there was more, but I felt like every time I was in town, I knew how to get in and do what I needed. I felt like a lot of my homies didn't, and it always pissed me off because it was like, nah, man, hell nah. If you got to deal with Schmitty and all the stuff we had to deal with, and these guys want a natty, you better let them in the damn building. They wouldn't let them in the building you know yeah. and there I just feel bad I I walk in I know who to call and I can get in but my damn teammate can't get in BV doesn't do that everybody's welcome in the building now so this weekend it, first things first it's intentional and it, I think it's more intentional than you know I'm 25 years ago literally I'm 25 years ago is when I was getting recruited in 98 you know If you're on the who's who's list. So some guys are coming in this weekend, Barry, and they know they're probably going to be able to wait in the line and take a two second picture with, with BV in front of the Nikes, right? That Nike pick is kind of like a, whether you're preferred walk on to the top dog, you're going to get that pick because that's kind of like a staple, but they're not going to get time in coach B's office. They're not going to get a 20 minute conversation. They'll probably be in a group of six to eight to 10 with an analyst who's going over all of the different things the program has to offer, so they're going to get to see the program, but they're they're not going to get a lot of one-on-one time with their position coach, with a coordinator, with some of the alumni who may be on campus who played their position. Right now, they're going to get five minutes with the position coach in the film room to so that he can sell them the dream for a sec. Everybody's going to get that for sure, but that that actual relationship building time. There's a community of people who won't get it. And obviously the objective there is those are people that you want to keep around in the event you don't get your top dogs. There's at least some relationship in place. Okay. Then there's another group of people who they are going to be in a small group. It's going to be one group. It's going to be six to 11 guys plus parents, and they're going to have two or three analysts. And the different position coaches are going to rotate into that group, right? So there'll be a 20-minute period where, where, where Bates is there. And then there'll be a time where Coach Villal is there. And then there'll be a time when B. Hall is there. And then Bean Bowl come by. Those guys, they will get the touch of the coaches being around them and feeling like, oh, man, coach cares about me and the, and the time to relationship build and all of that. You know, They'll sit together and they'll have two designated coaches at lunch Right, the two designated coaches will be the coaches who do not have a top light player that they're independently working on themselves. Right. So if they got a bunch of D linemen and and receivers in the building, right? It ain't gonna be Bates and and, and, and Emmett at Coach Jones at that table. It's gonna be like, you know, you know, uh, uh, um, it'll be whoever, right? It'll be Beaton Bo and whatever, Marco. But then there's another group of eight kids and the position coaches and coordinators are spending 80% of those time their time with those kids. Mm-hmm. right? So the coaches have a schedule where they spend two of the three hours with um, Stone and his mama. And Bates has a, a 20-minute check-in with the top flight kids, and then he's got 40 minutes at the end where he sees the rest of the kids five minutes apiece in their, in their, in their position room. But Bates spends 80% of his time with David Stone and his mama right? And the same thing goes for the other coaches who have the big time athletes. Let's say Bates has three or four. So those three or four, he's recruiting all of them to create an energy around them all working together, right? So Jay's in there and Stone's in there, Akoya, and whoever else is in town, Williams is in there. Those guys are all together with their parents. And the objective at that point is to get the parents to like each other, get the players to like each other, get there to be some some uh, positive juices flowing hey we know we're all studs what happens if we all play together um and that's the angle they go for and and that in that respective and so that is the i think that's the part most people probably um presume something to that nature i don't think i'm gonna go into like specifics and details about like the differentiation that OU does because there are some very specific things that they do and it's not my place to speak on that stuff. Um let's just say I I I appreciate what they do because looking at it from the lens of me being a player, I would have appreciated it. As a dad, I would definitely appreciate it knowing my son was going to be entering something like this. And then I just think in the landscape of today, um it's an added touch that I think has a direct impact, a tangible impact. And and we've already seen that in Be out recruiting Lincoln's best classes his first two years.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I know fans are are maybe a little anxious because the commitments aren't necessarily rolling out right now. But and it was last summer, a year ago, that OU really started laying the foundation of the class, and they stayed on guys until the end. I mean, it wasn't a deal where just because they didn't have a commitment in the summer, or maybe they had a guy who was leaning this way they were able to make that uh the, that last little push at the very end and they were aggressive and and you're who we want we're going to do what we need to do to try and procure your equipment uh commitment to make this team better and and i think there's a little bit of anxiousness still there but interesting to get a little bit of a, kind of the inside baseball of what is uh, what was going on on campus during during these weekends because Fans want to know when a guy's not committing, what is the message or what's being missed? Uh, but it's obvious that they're doing something right with uh, the names they brought in a year ago. And we will see how uh, how things continue to go. Man, I, you, you mentioned Jokic real quick. Did they get it oh. done this Monday or is it or does Miami still have a shot? I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> like I'm, it's done.
1: <laughs> I don't care. No, they're gonna win. It. Are you kidding me? They're gonna win in Denver. They're yeah. the better team, the most complete team. They're actually, a, a, oh, they're a fun team. It's a, it's good for the league to have a team in that market who, I and mean, they're just good. You know what I mean? Like they're just really good, and um, they don't have a lot of ego. The biggest ego is probably the damn coach, right? The coach has got a ton of ego, which is good. That was kind of like Bob. Like, Bob had ego, but it was the right kind of ego for us, and and it it definitely helped us shine through. Denver's going to win in five. Gentlemen, sweep. It's pretty good that at least Miami won one in Denver, where it Mm kind of, you know, makes it a little tougher. Like, hey, we won one on your board. But I don't think – they just don't have enough guys. All of their guys have to play well, and I think coming off the the Eastern Conference Finals where they beat uh, Boston – they had some guys with some momentum. Well, them guys kind of went back to, to earth. And it's crazy because Boston's defense has been known to be better than and Denver's Good. defense has been trash. And the opposite's happening. Denver's Denver's just hustling, man. Both sides of the ball. They're closing out. They're making contested shots. Uh salute to Murray for being a facilitator. But he's got I, I mean, he's got that Kobe kind of I'm a I'ma drill it in your eye when it matters the most, kind of a – you know what I'm saying? He's got that, that 90s, 2000 sold to him. Kind of like Jimmy Buckets. And uh, I got those guys. I got I got Denver in five. Um, Joker getting his first. Murray getting his first. One of my teammates gets on my last mother sucking. One, one of our teammates from OU. He's from Colorado, bro. He's the worst fan in America. He's the worst. I ain't going to say his name. He's the worst fan in America. He's going to be excited about this damn victory. Um, it's going to suck. Cause it, it'll mean we got you know a month and a half of just baseball until Ugh. we can get to the good stuff of spring camp, uh, um, uh, uh, training camp, and you know. I, by the way, I'm going to visit Hype in October, man. I'm excited. He said I got go to go something called the Sleepy Mountains or something like that in Tennessee. Okay. And, yeah. Uh, We're we gonna vote in. We're gonna boat into the stadium. I'm like, oh man, this sounds like it's gonna be jamming. So I'm looking forward to going to Knoxville and uh, checking out them volunteers uh, this uh this fall
0: that'll be cool man yeah it's uh on the on the heat Denver thing man Miami hasn't played bad basketball they just are getting beat like every game they've played solid ball uh good enough to beat every other team in the east just uh not good enough to beat Denver man some of the things they do um, defensively have actually given Denver. A ton of problems, but not having heroes been been kind of a, a major factor, but then also just they're just not good enough. they just don't have enough uh, enough shooting around uh, around Jimmy and then Jimmy has played okay, but he still had some turnover issues so interesting stuff uh, but man, good stuff today uh took us a little bit longer to get this one out sooner nation so please. Forgive us. It's been a crazy week. I was telling DMAC before the podcast, when summer hits, I get insanely busy uh, because of athletes getting done with their school year. And then they're all kind of coming in at one time and we're trying to get programming set up. And I was telling DMAC, I love my job, but doing programming for, for athletes, which is basically writing. What the athlete needs to do to train to improve certain areas of their of their game, of their strength, um, of their speed, their overall fitness level, just just all of it. Probably the most time consuming part of the job. The coaching it is is easy. That's fun, uh, but the sitting down and, and really putting some valuable nuts and bolts to what we're going to be doing in the upcoming weeks, man. I got this one girl that runs a track at Bixby who is, she's really good, man. Sophomore. She'll probably end up being a, a, a division one. I posted her on Twitter the other day, 27 inch vertical, just absurdly. Oh man. Flat footed, no running start. You're talking just straight up vertical challenger test. She did 30 on the, um, on the force plates, but, uh, she did 27 on my stuff, which is very, very impressive. That is uh, that is impressive. Yeah, man. So very powerful. Uh, but good stuff today, Mac. That uh, Tennessee trip will be interesting to hear about. Uh, maybe fans will start the rumor mill of uh, Mac going to Tennessee. Who, who
1: knows? Two years. I'll, 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 I'll be, I'll be uh, negotiating with, with Power 5 conferences in two years. I don't want to be a coach, though. I want to be a mentor. So I, I'm, I'm going to facilitate something. I'll I'll support the athletic department, but give me two more years. I got a couple more dollars I need to make. (laughs) And then once we we do that,
0: man. That's cool, man. Well, Sooner nation, thank you all for tuning in today. Make sure if you're not, please go follow us on Twitter. It's at Barry and Mac. S H W D Mac is at D underscore Mac 13. You'll find me at, at the letter B W I S -S E fitness. And over on the I G at Dame that dude. At letter B W I S E fitness and the Barry and Mac show. And uh, go visit Sooners360.com. A lot of cool stuff going on every day over there. A lot of inside, uh, kind of insider stuff, but also a lot of the analytics side of the game. Some of the stuff that we reference or talk about on the podcast, the reason it's kind of on on the mind at this moment when we go to record is because we've been discussing it over there and uh, bringing some of those thoughts and ideas um, over here. I am going to have something with Chris Mason uh, this week on the Barry and Mac feed just to kind of give, uh, give fans an idea of what he's doing on his side over at Sooners 360 and give you guys a very full, encompassing update of what happened this past weekend for the, uh, for the Sooners. So you don't want to miss that. Mac, any parting words for Sooner Nation?
1: yeah my little bro made a top one hundred or whatever list Jalen this is for you it's a couple of uh it's a couple of guys who have some issues with your list Barry, we we may have to make a list we may have to do a list uh uh i, I know I don't want people gonna come for my head or come for your head you know nobody's gonna be satisfied you can't have a list with some I ain't gonna disrespect none of my teammates or guys who come to the ranks, but some of the guys that you had up there, mm, I'm proud of you. You're building your brand. You're doing a great job, uh, man. Young, listen, just getting ready to graduate high school and killing yeah. the game. I'm proud of you for that, Barry. That might be something we consider in July, right? When it, when it's super boring and we we talk about Schmitty and Schmitty's all worn out. Uh, we may do some uh, position groups or all-time lists and and piss people off in the twitter but uh that, that might be a good thing
0: that might be some good content that we can have in the can getting released while i'm in uh in mexico at the end of july so how fun uh that sounds like a good time man well uh sooner nation Make sure to uh, stay listening to the podcast, subscribe, follow, share, do all those cool things for us. Thank you all for being there and the grassroots effort to grow this brand and grow the site. Uh, Much appreciated. Thank you so much for listening and we will see you soon.